Chapter 2. Well, chapter 1, he's really emphasized the God aspect of Jesus. Now with chapter 2, he's going to unpack the humanity of Jesus. So that when you get the two chapters put together, we have a very, very firm foundation of Jesus as the God-man. And then all the other chapters are going to build on that. Jesus as the God-man. So chapter 2, 5. For he did not put the world to come, about which we are speaking, under the control of angels. Instead, someone testified somewhere, What is man that you think of him? The son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a little while. You crowned him with glory and honor. You put all things under his control. For when he put all things under his control, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not see all things under his control. But we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by God's grace he would experience death on behalf of everyone. For it is fitting for him, for whom and through whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory to make the pioneer pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For indeed, he who makes holy and those being made holy all have the same origin." And so he, also, he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. And again, he says, I will be confident in him. And again, here I am what the children of God has given me. Therefore, since the children share the flesh and blood, he likewise shared in their humanity, so that through death he could destroy the one who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and set free those who were held in slavery all their lives by their fear of death. For surely this his concern is not for angels, but he is concerned for Abraham's descendants. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest and things relating to God to make atonement for the sins of people. For since he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. For he did not put the world to come about which we are speaking under the control of angels. The world to come, the age to come. Unfortunately, the new age was stolen by the hippies. That term originally belonged to God. And he was saying there is age to come. And the age to come is when the God-man, who is king-priest, marries completely the spiritual and the earthly realm together into one entity. That's the world to come. When everything is made right, when the divorce between God and man, the divorce between king and priest, the divorce between heaven and earth are all united back together. That's the age of come. God might have put angels as heads over nations in this fallen world, but he did not put the world to come where heaven and earth are one and the same under their control. Right? That's the point. He has given that to humans. But humans have failed to rule and subdue in the image of God. Now here's the problem. God created the planet, and he gave the planet to humans and said, you rule and subdue it. You do it in my image, which means you represent me. You reflect my character. You make sure that when you rule and subdue, that you're making everything in creation look like me. 
So you're not gods unto yourself. But you are my image, and I will give you the entire planet, but you get the planet for the sake of making it look like me. Now, there is no other religion that offers you anything like that. Unfortunately, humans gave it up. When we turned and bowed down and submitted to Satan, we handed our crown off to him, and that's why Jesus says Satan is the prince of this world. But God's original intention intention, was to have us rule. But humans have sinned, which means we are completely incapable of taking the rulership back and doing it right. The only person who can do it is God. But God wants us to rule. So how does he do that? Adam has a descendant by the name of Jesus Christ, who is God and can take the planet back, the book of Revelation, in a way that humans can't. But he can also rule over creation as a human in the way that God originally intended it to be. And so that's the point he's making here is that only God can correct the sin problem, and humans were meant to rule. Therefore, there's no way that an angel can be the ruler over the age to come. Only the Son of God, who is human, which I'm going to start unpacking for you now, can truly be the ruler of the age to come. Because he's the only one that can take it back, and he's the only one that can carry out God's original intention of humans as rulers and seduers. Does that make sense? And so he quotes Psalm 8, 4 through 6. So let's go to Psalm 8. Now this is a hymn where the psalmist is praising God. And he is making the point, I can't believe that you actually still like us and care about us and are giving us so much worth after we sin against you and we continually sin all the time. O Yahweh our God, our Lord, how magnificent is your reputation throughout all the earth. You reveal your majesty in the heavens above. From the mouths of children nursing babes, you have ordained praise on the account of your adversaries, so that you might put an end to the vindictive enemy. Then I look up at the heavens which your fingers have made, and I see the moon and the stars which are set in place. And of what importance is human race that you should notice them? Of what importance is mankind that you should pay attention to them? and make them a little less than the heavenly beings, which are angels. You grant humankind honor and majesty. You appoint them to rule over your creation. You have placed everything under their authority, including all the sheep and cattle, as well as all the wild animals, and the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea, and everything that moves through the currents of the seas. O Yahweh, our Lord, how magnificent is your reputation throughout the earth. As I look at your amazing creation, how is it that you still bless us and honor us with so much? Now, the author of the psalm says this, You have made what importance is humans, that you should pay attention to them. You've made humans a little less than the angels. When we get to Hebrews, he changes this. He changes humans to the Son of Man. And then he changes a little less to a little while. Now, how can he do that? First, this is where we need to go back to Daniel 7. So everybody turn to Daniel 7. The Son of Man. In the ancient world, Son of Man was just a title that referred to humans. So how is it that he can use Son of Man to refer to replace humans? Because that's what it meant. If somebody came along and you, you accused them of something, they're like, well, I'm just a Son of Man. 
meaning that if you're the son of a man, your father is a man, therefore you're the son of a man, you are a man as well. Like begets like. So it was a phrase that I'm only human. We've heard that one today. If you want to translate it today, well, I'm only human. Okay? I'm not a dog, I'm not an animal, I'm not an angel, I'm not God, I'm a human. That's all the Son of Man meant. It was a phrase, a cliche statement. And God uses this of Ezekiel. In Numbers, he says, I'm not a son of man that I changed my mind like you do. And Ezekiel, so many times, he says, Son of man, get up and write this. Son of man, go to Israel and say this. Son of man, go over here and do this. Son of man, son of man, son of man. As in, you're not like me. You're my servant. You go to your wicked people like you. It's kind of like when God says to Moses, your people are sinning right now. Except right before the sin, he said, you are my people. So he's making the point that you, son of men, are sinners. So you, son of man, you go and you tell them because they're not one of my children right now. They're not acting like it. So he's making the point that they're humans. They're lacking. So that's not a hard stretch to go from humans to son of man because they mean exactly the same thing. But now he's going to use it to prove that Jesus is God. And you're like, okay, well, how does that prove that Jesus is God and human? Daniel 7. Now, if you remember anything about visions of God in the First Testament, we've got one in Isaiah 6, you got one in Ezekiel 1, 2, and 3, and then again 40, and then you get one in Daniel, and they're caught up into heaven, and every time you get these visions, you get these really weird things in heaven. Like you get to Ezekiel and these four living creatures and one has a face of a a cow on the front and the face of a man on the left and the face of an ox on the right and an eagle on the back and you're like, that's weird. And then you go into Revelation and now they all got different faces but they got the body of a lion, kind of like the the phoenix or the sphinx um, in Greek, um, Egyptian mythology. And then you get into Isaiah and you got these like angels that are covering their faces with wings and they're flying, they got eyes all over them and they're on fire and you're like, there's some weird things in heaven. <laughs> but then you get to Daniel 7 and you see these four beasts coming out of the sea. And you know they're evil because anything that comes out of the sea is evil. Because the sea is the image of raging chaos and evil. And so you got this beast that's a winged lion and the wings are ripped off and you get another beast that's this bear that's on his side eating three ribs and you get this other beast that's a leopard with four wings and four heads and another beast is this great terrible beast that he doesn't even know what to call it and these represent the kingdoms of Babylon and Persia and, and Greece and the Roman Empire so he's seeing all this stuff and then he comes to Daniel uh, 7 and he begins to say in verse 9, While I was watching, thrones were set upon up an ancient of days. The ancient of days meaning the one who was ancient before times even began. One other way of saying eternal past. Took his seat, and his attire was white like snow. His hair was a head, um, was like lamb's wool. His throne was ablaze with fire, and the wheels were all aflame. A river of fire was streaming forth and proceeding from his presence. Now fire is symbolic of the light of God, His presence and His glory, but fire is also symbolic of judgment. And so judgment is coming out of His throne. And it's going into all the world. Which means this is end times, judgment day. Many tens of thousands stood ready to serve Him. The court convened and the books were open. So these four beasts are now going to answer to Yahweh. 
And then he says this, Then I kept on watching because of the arrogant words of the horn that was speaking, which is the Antichrist. I was watching until the beast was killed, his body destroyed, and thrown into flaming fire. For the rest of the beasts, their ruling authority had already been removed, though they were permitted to go on living for a time and a season. I was watching in the night visions. So basically, they all got their judgment. Now, the other thing really important, there's no contest between God. Like sometimes I think we envision this like giant war between God and Satan in the end. Like if you read Revelation and Ezekiel and stuff, God shows up, fire comes out, and everybody dies. There's no contest. It's if you paid to see that movie, you'd be kind of disappointed if it wasn't for all the thousands of years of corruption and sin that you're like ready for it to see all end. But if you're looking for a, like a wrestling match, you're going to be disappointed. But if you're looking for like a really quick end to all the injustice in the world, it's going to be the greatest thing ever. And so, then he sees this. Verse 13, I was watching in the night visions, and with the clouds of the sky, one like a son of man was approaching. He went up to the Ancient of Days, and he was escorted before him. And to him was given ruling authority, honor, sovereignty, and all peoples, nations, language groups were serving him. His authority is eternal and will not pass away. His kingdom will not be destroyed. So he doesn't know what to do. Daniel was the first person that ever saw anything that looked anything like a human in heaven. And he says, I looked and I saw this one like the Son of Man. Like, he is the Son of Man, he's human, but at the same time he can't be because no one's ever seen a human in heaven before. So that means he's human. There's that Son of Man title. But he's coming on the clouds. Once again, only angels and God ride the clouds. So if he's coming on the clouds, that automatically means he's divine. He's either an angel or he's Yahweh. But he can't be Yahweh because Yahweh is sitting on the throne and he's going to him. So he must be some kind of angel. But at the same time, he's human. When have I ever seen a human and an angel at the same time? That's, that that's doesn't exist. That's blasphemy. But then he keeps reading and he notices that he's going up to the throne. But there's no angels surrounding him. So the only way you can go to the throne of God is if you're sinless. Or you have angels surround you as a barrier. Or you have the blood of Jesus Christ. But there's no angels, and the blood of Jesus Christ hasn't come yet. So now we have this angel who is a human who is sinless. That's Who has ever heard anything like that? But then, all ruling authority, honor, and sovereignty was given to him. And every person, and every nation, and every language bowed down and worshipped him. Well, the only person only being that has all sovereignty over all of creation and that every single person plays homage to him and him alone is Yahweh himself. But what do you do with that? You see Yahweh on the throne and this guy that looks like Yahweh but is also an angel but also is sinless but also is a human is walking up to him. And then he goes up and he puts his hand out and it says all of this stuff was given to him and he has a kingdom that is everlasting and will never pass away. The Bible has made it very clear there's only one being that has an everlasting kingdom and that's Yahweh. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So Daniel sees Yahweh, who is a man, who is sinless, walking up to the throne of Yahweh and Yahweh hands Yahweh all power and sovereignty and authority, because this Yahweh doesn't have it, so he has to get it from that Yahweh, but at the same time, it can't be Yahweh because this guy's human. And what the Jews do? They put it on their shelf and didn't talk about it. Because you wouldn't either without Christ. You can't go there. 
And from this point on, the Son of Man became a title of a very specific being. And you never call yourself the Son of Man anymore in Judaism because you fear invoking whatever this thing is. You've got Yahweh who has no power and sovereignty and ruling authority walking up to Yahweh, but he's also a human getting it all back. And you don't know what to do with that. And so you don't call yourself the Son of Man because you don't want to claim that you're this, and you don't talk about that because you don't know what to do with it. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, and he calls himself the Son of Man more than any other title in the entire Bible. He actually doesn't really call himself Messiah. He never claims himself king. He says, so that you may know the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, I say, get up and walk. Luke chapter 5. So that you know that the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. Only Yahweh is Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus says it more than ever. If you go to my notes, I have literally written down in your footnotes every time in the Gospels he uses that title. And it's a big footnote. And what he's doing is he goes there. He goes where the Jews will not go and he says, deal with it. And when he calls himself the Son of Man, he's invoking, he is saying, I am the God Yahweh who is a human and sinless, who has been given all authority and sovereignty and power. Now here's the question. When does Yahweh not have it all that he needs to get it back? Philippians chapter 2. Though being equal with God, he did not see his godhood as something to be exploited, rather emptied himself of his position and became a servant, even to the point of death, so that he has been exalted back to the right hand of God. Matthew. But he also then says, all authority and power and sovereignty has been given to me. So somewhere in his death, between his death, resurrection, and his ascension, Jesus popped up into heaven. I almost envisioned this, that you got Jesus dying. He, he empties himself, not of his godhood, but of his position to, ex, to, to, to exercise as God. He gives up the throne, not his essence as God, his ability to be God, but he gives up the position, the throne. He comes as a little baby. He grows up as a human. He does what no man can do, die for the sins of the world and take back the throne. And then he comes to the disciples and he ascends up into heaven, and the next thing you see, like they see him going up in the clouds. You want to know what happens after the clouds? You switch the camera over into heaven, and boop, he pops up out of the clouds, and Daniel 7 happens, and he walks up to the throne, and he puts his hand out, and Yahweh says, well done, good and faithful servant. First Peter says he has been vindicated by God, and God gives him the throne back, sits him at the right hand of God, and he is Yahweh, the God-man now. Forever he has been Yahweh. But now he's the God-man Yahweh, sitting on the throne next to God. He had the right to be Yahweh because he created the world. Now he has the right to be Yahweh because he died for the world. And I think that's what's going on here. And so Daniel gives you a vision of the future after Matthew 28. And it's a prequel. And then we get Matthew 28, and now we've got to go back to Daniel 7 to find out what happens because now it's a sequel. Okay? Yes. And so this is why the Daniel 7 passage is the clearest passage. Because you can't argue this. You've got a human who's been given all authority, all sovereignty over the entire world, yet he's without sin. And Jesus owns it. And he doesn't 
apologize. So that when he stands before Caiaphas, he says, you will see the Son of Man coming back on the clouds to judge you. Well, what was Yahweh doing? He was sitting on the throne, opening up the books with his judgment coming out. And Jesus says, I am him, sitting on that, because he gave it to me, because I am him. There's your answer to who is my Lord of David. And Caiaphas says, kill him. Because he's committed blasphemy. If you ever wonder whether Jesus said the right or wrong thing, just go to the Pharisees. They always let you know. It was like, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. That's what all the atheists say. Caiaphas thought he did. <laughs> he killed him for it. Okay? And that's an important thing. Nowhere does Jesus ever say, I am God. But he does say, I am the Son of Man. Get up and walk. He raised himself from the dead. So you know that I can forgive sins. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. If you're a Jew, you know. If I sat here and said, I know all things, past and present, and I am powerful over all things, you know exactly what I'm claiming to be. I'm not that. Without ever having to say I'm God. Because you have to understand the culture that he's saying in it. And we don't do that a lot of times. And so this is Jesus' own. So now the author of Hebrews goes into Psalm 8 and he connects it all together. Psalm 8 is about humans. Yes, I'm not taking it out of context. But it's also about Jesus Christ as the Son of Man. Yes, because Jesus is a human. But he's also the ultimate human. He's the ultimate typology. He's the ultimate Adam. He's not only the ultimate David, but now he's the ultimate Adam. And now I'm using that Son of Man in the way that Daniel did. So see, yeah, you need to go back to Psalm 8 and know that I'm talking about a human because Psalm 8 is about a human. But now you need to go to Daniel 7 and know that I'm talking about a God because Daniel 7 makes it clear the Son of Man is a God. So now you put it all together and it's really about Jesus. And it's not about the angels. But it says he was made a little less than the angels for a little while. Well, a little less and a little while comes from the same Hebrew word that can actually mean both. It can just mean slightly lacking of something. So it can be lacking in time, and it can lack, be lacking in position. So he uses that double meaning, and he invokes both of them. And so he says, look, Jesus made a little less for just a little while than the angels. When did that happen? His incarnation, Philippians chapter 2. But now he's seated in the right hand of God. And to which of the angels did he ever sit on the right hand of God and make them the God of the world to come? So not only is he the Son of God greater than angels, but he's also able to be a human and still be greater than angels. Because eventually humans were to give... See, the angels are only ruling over the earth temporarily because we lost the right. But Jesus takes it back, which means he's now giving it back to humans, but he is the human. So angels are really truly the ones who only have the authority for a little while. And so Jesus became a little less for a little while. Now you say, well, why? Why was he even lower? I mean, if he's truly that great, why did he even have to become lower? To die for us. To conquer death. Oh. So he became a little lower than angels so that he could conquer death, which no angel could ever do. So he actually became a little lower to prove that he was actually greater than everybody else. And to save what angels could never save. And that's what he's going to end the chapter with. Look, if you want to go worship angels, which of them have ever saved you? 
And so he unpacks this. 4, verse 8b. For when he put all things under his control, he left nothing outside of his control. So when you see him in Daniel 7, giving all authority, all honor, all glory, all power, all nations, all tongues, all languages, what's not included in that? Yet, we do not see all things under his control. But we see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So that by God's grace he would experience death on behalf of everyone. So we, we saw him becoming human for a little while. A little less than angels for a little while. But now that he's sitting in the right hand of God, you may still say, but I still don't see everything under his control. Because look at the world. And if you're here on Sunday, Habakkuk's asking the question, this doesn't make sense. Why is there so much violence everywhere? Don't worry. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. And you don't need revelation. Revelation hasn't been written yet. Because Ezekiel points to it, and Isaiah points to it. The prophets look forward to a day where the Davidic king will be sitting on an everlasting throne, and all the nations will answer to them, and there will be justice perfectly in all the world. But no Davidic king can do that. But yet the Davidic king has to be the one to do it because God promised it and gave it to Adam and David. So, Jesus is the fulfillment. He proved his right to be that by being born and dying on the cross and conquering death. And then you'll see him finally execute it one day completely. This is how all the prophets will be fulfilled. Because with every Davidic king, you're going to be asking, what the heck, God? You made promises. I mean, how many Davidic kings do we have to go through? And now we finally have the Davidic king. And now he's secured the throne. Now he's just waiting to secure the planet. But in a way, he has secured the planet because he's defeated the devil and death. We have nothing to fear anymore. And so he, so by the God's grace, he would experience death on behalf of everyone. That's important. That means that Christ's death is sufficient and efficient for all. This is something you have to realize. Christ paid for all sins, even all of Hitler's, all of Genghis Khan, all of all those nasty people who never accepted Christ, because his death is sufficient and efficient for all. The only sin that sends you to hell is rejecting the death that Christ took for you. And that's what he said. He tastes death on behalf of everyone so that no one has to die anymore. 